All right, kiddos, this is your time. Miss Ann's got some awesome stuff for you. Say bye, Ann. Bye. <laughs> That's a beautiful worship up there. I think we'll be singing that in heaven, don't you? Well, awesome. Has anybody ever said before, Lord, how will I win this battle? That's uh, this morning for us. Um, we talked a little bit about Gideon. Sandra, thank you. Um, talked a little bit about Gideon. By the way, wasn't that really cool, the testimony with Rod and him coming to Christ? I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if you caught this or not, but Rod said that he went to church his whole life. I thought going to church got you to heaven. I thank God for pastors out there and ministers who speak the gospel and don't take and assume uh, things. Well, I don't want to tell you the meaning of assumption, but uh, when we assume things, and there's a lot of pastors who do a lot of assuming in life and a lot of parishioners, and I want to tell you today, just because people go to, go to church doesn't mean that they know Christ. And that's why we do altar calls here at church every Sunday and ask people to know Christ, because you never know when the Holy Spirit is working and speaking and pricking people's hearts and saying, now is the time. So um, just remember that. That was a neat little thing I, I, I caught in that testimony. What a beautiful thing that God does. Um, Lord, how am I going to win this battle? Um, we've all got battles that we're facing. Um, we've all got tough things that we go into. And we all ask that question, Lord, how am I going to win this battle? Gideon uh, had been ministered to by the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said, hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And he's like, who are you talking about? I'm the least of my tribe. I'm, I'm the bum here. There's no way I'm the person. Anybody ever thought that before about themselves? And uh, so he goes on. He throws the fleece, does a whole, a whole bunch of things and declaring uh, who he was. And I'm going to try to pick up there. And now we're going to move into Gideon moving into battle against the Midianites to wrap up um, this huge part in history and what Gideon did for the children of Israel through the Lord. Um, Verse 27 of Judges chapter 6. You guys probably need to know where we're at, right? Judges 6, starting with verse 27. We'll start there. Actually, you know what? We'll start at verse 31 because uh, he had taken down the idols and everybody, all the mob in the town wanted to take him out. Isn't it funny how when you start stirring things up in your life and people's life, people start to get a little mad, don't they? People don't like change. Uh, verse 31, But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleases his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down this altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Verse 33, Soon afterwards, the armies of Midian... Uh, Amalek and the people of the east form an alliance against Israel and cross the Jordan, camping at the valley of Jezreel. And the Spirit of the Lord, I want you to catch this, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezar came to him. He sent messengers through Manasseh and Asher and Zebulun and Nephetili and uh, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Say, everyone say, all of them. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And then just as what happened, when Gideon got up in the morning, next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, he let the fleece remain dry, and the ground all around it was wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked, and the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If you let all of you fight the Midianites, then the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, 
they may leave this mountain and go home. Now are you ready for this mass exodus here? 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not go. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide them into two groups and one group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneeled down and drank with their mouths into the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provision, the ram's horns of the other warriors, and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up. Go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp of your servant Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Almac, and the people of the east had settled into the valley like a swarm of locusts. Few people, right? Their camels were two, were like grains of sand in the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept just up as the men were telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down in the Midianite camp and hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up! For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the men, or divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar, and a torch, uh, to, to torch in it. And then he said to them, Keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do as I do. As soon as, I, as, soon as those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horn and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as, uh, as Beth Shizah near Zariah and the border of Alba Malia near Tabor, or Tabath. Then Gideon sent for the warriors of uh, Naphtali and Asher and Manasseh who joined in chasing the army of Midian. Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, Come down and attack the Midianites. Cut them off at the shallow crossing the Jordan River in Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. Isn't that just absolutely amazing how Gideon goes into this battle, really doesn't even have a battle plan, and God starts to work in his life and starts to break down some of those things that he might have put a little bit of trust in. Why don't we open with prayer as we figure out how the, God's going to win battle for us in our own lives. Lord, I just thank you for today. And as we kind of dive into this scripture, Lord, I just pray that we would draw our strength, draw our focus on you. And Lord, many of our thoughts may be running today of how, Lord, is this going to fix? And how is this going to happen? And how is this going to work out? And we're just trying to figure out and manipulate the circumstances, barely even to survive, Lord, sometimes. And Lord, I just pray that we leave here today with a spirit of victory and a spirit of determination to say the battle is yours. And that the victory is yours. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want us to start with one thing. Start to wear a new set of clothes. I think it's interesting in Judges 6.34 it says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself. Think about that for a moment with your life. You know, when you come to Christ, speaking of salvation, you are given a robe of righteousness. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You don't have a pal or, or some other friend or some uh, associate of Christ. You have the very triune God living within you. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're clothed with Christ today. Gideon 
had this clothing, if you will. It wasn't built on his own sense of skill or his own sense of what he could do. Gideon didn't have any resources to beat the, Gideon, uh, the Midianites. And you personally, you don't have the resource to beat your Midianites today. Brennan Manning wrote this, that the only way we can know anything for certain about God is what we know about Jesus. Anything that is true about Jesus is true about God. Anything untrue is untrue. This writer uh, writes, it made sense. It might seem elementary to you, but it was life-changing to me. Besides, it was easy enough to try. Here's what this writer did. He started to get to know Jesus by reading Mark. It's the shortest gospel, and he began reading it really slow. He paid attention to everything Jesus did and said and didn't do. And before he knew it, everything had changed. Jesus became real. He knocked me in the head over heels. I wanted to know more of him, and deeply and intimately and slowly, like a ship coming out of the fog, I began to see him, smell him, feel him. I knew what his voice sounded like, and it only made me want more. Folks, if you want to be clothed with Christ today, you're going to have to start learning about Christ. You say, well, how do I become more like Christ? Start like this author did. Maybe start in the book of Mark. I always challenge people to do this practically speaking in your own life. You say, man, I want to know what it feels like to be clothed with Christ. Because sometimes we don't really feel like we're clothed with Christ, do we? Kind of wearing our own stuff, or in our own clothes. And it's really important that through our sanctification and where we are with Christ, that we learn the words of Christ. I challenge you today, if, man, you want to know who Christ is, he started in Mark. I challenge you to start to read the book of John. I love the book of John. It gives us a great example of the story of who Christ is. But if you want to become like Christ, you're going to have to read about Christ. Kind of simple, right? Turn around and say, what do you know about Jesus? At the same time, Jesus started rubbing off on me. I started noticing things I never noticed before. The leaves changing colors. The sound of water hitting the sink. My ears listened differently to people even. I began hearing the questions they were asking underneath the questions they were asking. I watched television with new eyes. My judgmental spirit was gone. I cried at odd moments. I found myself liking the sensation when I helped people. It was crazy. And the craziest part, it was like all of a sudden I had found myself. It was like the more I got to know Jesus the more he introduced me to the person he created. Me, the real me. The one that, if I'm honest, I have always been afraid of. Because what if I don't like the real me? Or if the real me does something stupid? Or what if the real me isn't that cool? Or what if the real me gets hurt? But for the first time, with Jesus' encouragement, I was willing to give it a try. I have never felt so much pain, been so broken, and so weak, so pathetic, so vulnerable. It has been the hardest experience of my life, and it has been the best. Because now I know, now I know that I am loved. Jesus loves me, and all my mess, the way that I am, and not only that he likes me, but if he had a free afternoon, which he does, countless ones, he would choose to spend it with me, and I would spend it with him. See, you get to the point like all of us have that experience with Gideon where we don't feel like we quite make the cut on what we're dealing with, that the pain of the problem is too much or that it's just too big of a hill to overcome and we say, I'm the least of my tribe, I'm not worth it. And then God says, listen, you're a mighty man of valor, go in the strength of yours. See, God knows something about you that you don't even know about you. You were created in the very image of God, and you were created with giftings, you were created with callings, you were created with ideas, and they might be buried nevertheless, but they are there, and Jesus knows exactly where they are. I love what the writer says. He says, not only that Jesus loves me, but he likes me. You know, we can all say, I love that person. Yeah, I love you with the love of Jesus. But some of us don't like people. You know what I'm saying? Turn to someone and say, I know some people I don't like. You can say it. You can say it. It's okay. Say, I don't know. I know some people I don't like. This is the kind and the time of self-discovery. Isaiah 61.10. You don't have to turn there, but we're clothed with a robe of righteousness. 
There is time for self-discovery, and Gideon had some self-discovery. He had some introspection. Now, I always make fun of the New Age gurus, which they need to be made fun of all the time. But they preach that we live in a a time of self-awareness, self-discovery. But you can't have self-discovery without finding Christ. I love what Jack Hayford writes. Self-realization only comes through a real realization of Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who created you. Erwin McManus wrote this, it's your responsibility to maximize your capacity to take an inventory of who you are and to understand how God designed you, to harness all the talent and skill God has placed in you and to recognize that you will not be measured against anyone's life but your own. You know, we try to measure our life against other people and we try to look at other things and we look at the Midianites in our life and we see that we're outnumbered and we see what's going on and we say, man, how can I do like what that person is doing? You will never be measured against another person here. When we go before the throne room, we're not going to have to answer for those people out there. We're going to have to give an account for our own lives. And we're going to have to make the decision to say, God, I am willing to invest in this and to go after this. I love what Psalm 31.1 says. You have to turn there. But it says, take refuge in the Lord. And you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. I think part of the thing that we need to do is we do need to clothe ourselves with Jesus. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us how we're supposed to prepare for battle, doesn't it? We're supposed to put the uh, breastplate of righteousness, the um, shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, all that kind of stuff we're supposed to do, right? And we're supposed to do that daily. The Bible says for us to put on the mind of Christ. So there's a way as a believer, how many of you know you can leave your house in the morning and really not have none of that stuff and not be ready for battle? I've been not ready for battle before. And it's not fun in that place. But learning to clothe ourselves, I want to give you kind of some practical tips in your own life as a, new, or as a believer and even as a new believer today. Do you know what your most powerful way to clothe yourself today is going to be this? Some of you may not like this. It's called prayer. It's called prayer. Because you will not get the clothing of Christ in the wardrobe that you're supposed to be wearing without. Say, how do I clothe myself? How do I clothe my family? Now, we don't have a lot of little children in here. We do have some smalls. My sister's got a little kid back there. Hi, Gabby. But we got some tweens, we got some teenagers, and we have some adult children that need lots of prayer. How many have some adult children here that need some good prayer? Amen. This is for all of us. We all, we all have departments we're working on. And it's beautiful when we understand that, that we can engage the battle and fight it. You are not helpless and hopeless right now. Do you know that? You are not hopeless. You have answers in Christ. So if you have loved ones who are Dealing maybe with relational issues. You can pray that person through. Do you know that? You can pray and stand in the gap and say, Lord, I pray that you would work dramatically in that. Even if that relationship is horrible, God, you either do one of two things. God, you have two options. I want you to start talking like this to God. God, you have two options. Come on. Widows, we need some persistent widows in here. Can I please have some bread? No one answers. Go back to bed. I guess God didn't have the answer for me today. It's going to be okay. We don't need those people. You won't get answers. Because you're not desperate. And you're really not interested in being inconvenienced. And when we clothe ourselves, it's going to be an inconvenience for you because the bozo clothes that we're wearing and we're trying to defeat the enemies in our life, we're going to have to put the uniform on, if you will, of Christ. Man, when I was back in Bible school, one of the most irritating things was that we had to wear a shirt and tie every day to school. It was horrible. But you know one thing I did? I learned how to iron my shirts really fast in Bible school. I had this guy, he was from Chicago, I loved him. He was fantastic, and he said, Steve, his name was Super. I would say Super. You know you're Super if your name's Super. He was this fantastically dressed black preacher out of Chicago guy. His whole family had a heritage. He's like, Steve, this is how you iron your shirts fast. 
I got to ironing them up, put those on. But it was crazy having to get up in the morning and start to just put that on. Man, I'd love to go to love to go to you know school in pajamas and stuff, isn't it? Not you crazy people going to 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 work in their pajamas and man, put some clothes on. Don't dress like a bum. Clothe yourself with Christ. Do you know, because when you realize what you can do in the essence of who Christ is, and you put Him on, now you are presenting yourself even differently. You are presenting yourself to this world, and you're saying, I am a child of the King. I am not a bum. Turn to someone and say, I am not a bum. Are you wearing the clothing that Christ has for you. And these are the clothing that you give to your children. I love what Charles Spurgeon writes. He said, this is a very excellent method, I think. Actually, to take the children one by one into your room, alone, and pray with them. What a concept, right? You will see your children converted when God gives you to individualize their cases to agonize for them and to take them one by one and with the door closed to pray both with them and for them. Fathers and mothers, crawl under the covers at night, hold your little ones in your arms and pray for them. They will never forget it. And when they grow older, pause with them before they walk out the door and on their way to class. Pray with them regarding their upcoming day. Even the most rebellious children like to know that their parents pray for them. I dare you, nine times out of ten, this is my own, don't everybody love like uh, surveys and stuff? We took a survey, like, we are surveyed out, oh gosh. Nine out of ten times, let me give you Steve Lapp's survey, you can take this to the bank. Nine out of ten people, if you say, can I pray with you? They'll say, by golly, I'll sure, yeah, go ahead, pray for me. And they might sit there and they might like go, they might not understand it, they might not get it, but when you pray for them, the hounds of heaven go after that situation. And when you present their case before the Lord, it's awesome. Are you giving your children spiritual clothes? Now I know you figured their career out for them. You figured their school out for them. You figured out the really good practical options. We are the most practical people in the world, but how many of you know we need to be impractical once again? We need to get spiritually practical. We need, man, we think about the most least important things. Please, the career will come, the money will come, the money will go. Your kid will change careers. Your kid will say, I want to do this one day, and then four years down the road, they're going to say, I don't want to do that anymore. How many have changed degrees and stuff a little bit in your life in the past 20 years? So we'll get it figured out. In fact, God, what he'll do is he's really funny. He'll throw you, he'll flip you on the other side of the other thing, and he'll have you doing stuff you didn't even want to do in the first place. <laughs> oh, this is not my vocational training. <laughs> now it is. <laughs> Welcome to work. <laughs> Where you don't get to do what you thought you wanted to do. Now you learn to love what you didn't want to love. Hot dog. Get in, let's get moving. Let's get clothed. Are you ready for the day spiritually? Are you ready? Are you ready? Many times, what we're doing with our battles is we've already gone into the battle with a defeated mindset. Can I get an amen there? We have already determined even how we will lose. We have already, not only that, but we have allowed people to determine how our life will exist. Now, I love doctors if you're not here lovely, but I hate it when doctors get into the mode of saying, well, you have three months left to live. And I just always want to say, how do you know? What business do you have? Are you the maker of life? You don't know what will happen inside that person's body. 
Now, I know people that had expectations that they were supposed to die in a year or two, and 20 years down the road, they're still alive and kicking. And that doctor's wrong. I want that doctor to get on the news and say, sorry, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that. Can I get an amen? Yes, amen. We depend too much upon what doctors say and their limited space of a human being's body. Many times we wear what I call our grave clothes in our situations. You know what I mean by grave clothes? Defeat and failure. John eleven thirty eight. Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus' tomb? By the way, this one miracle, let me give you a little side commentary, by Jesus even doing this miracle was putting Jesus in the grave. Because the minute that this happened, it was at that point the Pharisees said, we're killing this guy. It's it. It's done. Jesus marched into that tomb, taking a man and giving his life back, and he was literally signing the death sentence, knowing that these men would take his life now. It was too political. Verse 38, Jesus declares, untie this man. Let me give you the explanation of that with your life. You and I are reborn people. You are no more a Christian today when the day you said, Jesus, come into my life, I give you me, make me a new creature. From that moment on, you are not more of a Christian than you were that day when you prayed. You know that? You were no more signed, sealed, and delivered from that day when you said, God, I give you my life, than 40 years down the road. But here's what happens with believers. Believers come into Christ. They have a new spirit. But it's interesting how Jesus did that whole miracle. He said, roll away that stone. And they said, he stinks. Remember that? It stinks. It's been four days. He stinks. He's stinking. Remember that? He's stinking. Why are you messing with this stuff, Lord? It stinks around here. Because we've already signed it off. We've already said it's done. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth. He comes out in grave clothes. He didn't come out in a tuxedo. He come looking really nasty. Do you know that? Now, under the grave clothes, you saw this new man, but you had the old grave clothes. You had the old junk on him that needed to be ripped off. And Jesus said, untie that man. And the Greek actually does it way better than what English translation says. The Greek word means here to bellow with anger. Jesus was absolutely furious, and he was a roaring lion. He bellowed with anger. Dylan Thomas writes, Do not go gentle in the good night. Rage, rage, rage against the dying of light. Folks, I'm going to tell you really quick, in order for you to go to battle... Let me tell you what's not happening right now in the hills of Afghanistan and the hills of Iraq and the flats and going on there. You do not have soldiers going like this. I'm going to kill some ISIS guys today. We're going to have fun. You see my smiles. I'm going to shoot in that way. <laughs> no. Right? Let's be real. We're taking them out. This is not chubby bunny mush marshmallow time. This is we are going to annihilate this enemy. See, the problem with our life and with Christianity and with faith, we don't know how the enemy can be destroyed and we don't go after the enemy because we really don't believe in our heart of hearts that the enemy can be destroyed in our life. Jesus came to do one thing. You know what Jesus' plan was? To destroy the works of the enemy. That was his plan. When Jesus died on the cross, it was to destroy, annihilate, pulverize the devil. He didn't come here to reason with him circumstantially with things. He was coming here to, as a conquering king to say, listen, I am going to destroy all the works that you had on all of humanity. What a crazy, awesome plan, isn't it? You know, when you have a plan for your family, you should have a big plan. You know, when your kids are going through stuff, you want to clothe them things, and they're going through things, you should plan big plans for them. Going through financial struggles in your life, anybody in here? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you're going through financial struggles, start planning big plans for your future. 
Don't bury your head in the sand. Because many of us get like that servant. He gets a talent, gets the responsibility and stuff, and then the, oh no, oh no, what do I do? And then the funny thing is, the servant throws it back to the master saying, I knew you were a hard taskmaster. I didn't want to lose it. He's like, the least you could have done is put this in a bank and draw some interest on the thing. So Jesus gives us the opportunity to fight our battles and to be clothed. Here's what I want you to do today. In your week ahead, clothe your family in prayer. Clothe them. How do you clothe them? Speak promises and blessing over them. Jesus is raging against death. He doesn't say, look, just get used to it, everybody dies. Oh, as we begin blowing this trumpet, here's what's crazy. He's clothed with this Jesus himself. He's clothed with God. And the first thing that Gideon does is he blows the ram's horn. Now, I'm not a Jew. I don't know how to blow a ram's horn. We had a guy once here blow that. I want to blow a trumpet again. We should have blown. I should have had blown a trumpet. But as we begin to blow the trumpet, we begin to fight and wage war on the enemy. Some of us have the enemy waging war on us, but how many want to sign up to wage war on the enemy today? Can I get an amen there? How many are excited about that? I'm tired of letting him dictate my terms. I want to be the one who dictates the terms and says, no, we're charging the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not prevail against Steve Lapp. Not on the defensive. Yeah, stuff happens to you. Bad things happen to good people all day, every day. People say, oh no, Lord, this bad stuff happens. Yes, you live on planet Earth. Welcome to America. Now, we determine to say, yep, these bad things take place and these bad things happen this side of eternity. Now I'm determined to fight and engage this struggle. And now I am blowing a trumpet, which is a battle cry, but it is also a victorious cry. You have to determine right now if the battle will be won through the Lord or will the enemy take some more ground from your life. That's what you're going to have to determine. You might be down. You might have lost round one. I love that comment today. You might have lost round two. You might have lost round three. How many have lost round four already? I've been there. How many lost round five? Fight's not over. You've got bloody face. So what? Jesus throws this at him. 32,000 men sign up. How many want to join my call? The trumpet blows. Gideon, this is awesome. Let's defeat the Midianites. Let's do this. They all come. They all join them. All the clans. Everyone. We're taking these guys down. Exciting. Isn't it very exciting in churches? This is how it works in church, too. Everyone gets excited around the call. And then he says, now, Gideon, don't be deceived by numbers now. Because we all do numbers mean power. There's nothing wrong with lots of people. I just, in our life, we, we start to trust in men more than we do God. 32,000 men come up. Now, I want you to say, anybody who's afraid, go home. 22,000 said, man, got to feed the cat. <laughs> Dude, Gideon, it's going to be a great battle. You're going to do it. Don't you love those kind of hands? You're going to do good. I don't even like cats. That's so funny. <laughs> 22,000. Leave. You know, that's the time where we all kind of say, it's going to be okay in our church. It's going to be okay. Oh, those people didn't even know them. They didn't even say thanks. Hey, Gideon, there's still too many. Hey, Gideon, yeah, hey, hey, what? We're still not stuck. Howard Hendricks writes, we are faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised 
as unsolvable problems. Look at your situation right now. You've run out of answers. You've run out of money. You can't solve the problem. You have absolutely nothing you can throw at anymore. You've thrown so much at the wall, see if it will stick, and it's just not sticking anymore. Feeling defeated in your spirit? If 22,000 leaving isn't enough, God says there's still too many. Here's what God wanted to make sure that no one in Israel took credit for what was about to go down. Do you know what's going to happen in your life? Because we all like to have that false sense of pride. I just like to give God glory for all the great blessings in my house and what's happening. And God's just so good. Isn't he so good? A favor. It's really pride masking a religious spirit. Because the only way you're going to get victory in this life is grace anyways. Because ain't no one in here more special than the next person. We are all special, and we are all the apple of God's eye. With that mark, we realize, God, the only reason we've got what we've got, the only reason we have these things in our hands is because of your grace. Amen. See, we can't go back and say, I fasted 64 straight weeks, and I gave that guest speaker came and I wanted to have some of the anointing drop on me for this specific thing. And bam, God works. God says, I want the glory. No man takes the glory. Nobody can say, well, I did this this way. And if you pray this special prayer, because that same person that did the 64 days of fasting and prayer can't just lop on you the religious pressure and say, well, if you want to get out of your circumstance, you better pray 64 days. See, it'd be really easy and magical, and then we can all just fast our way out of every problem we have in life. Wouldn't that be easy, right? Wouldn't you just love to be able to just fast for everything? It doesn't work that way. This is what I all want, want us all to understand in the realities that we face. He didn't want anyone to take credit The enemy starts to swarm around you and your present realities. Turn to someone real quick and say, i got some present realities. Francis Frangipane wrote, The ancient Greeks, in whose language the New Testament was written, had no word for the word reality. To them, truth and reality were the same essence. When we think of the spirit of truth, we must include in our understanding the concept of reality. That is, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is reality itself. The Word of God, here's the thing. You know, we always talk about the Bible and prayer, and we get into our circumstances, and we say, well, yeah, but just give me something that I really can use. Here, take this. It's reality. See, you're living in an altered world that the enemy has placed on you and deceived you into thinking that the stuff you're up against is too insurmountable and you can't work on it. You're living in an altered reality. See, the reality is this, that God's Word is truth. And the sword of the Spirit, which is our weapons, which is what we're clothed with, is the word of truth, which we can fling. And the Bible says that we can actually stop every missile that's flaming that the devil throws at us. Every missile. Not some of them, but every flaming missile comes our way we can be protected against. And the sword of the Spirit gives us the opportunity to boldly proclaim the reality of God's word against the circumstances and the things that the enemy throws at us. I'm giving us battle plans today. Isn't that a good thing? God works even in our worries and doubts, by the way. Gideon said, hey, I believe you, God. We're jumping back a little bit. But he goes into the fleece and makes sure that the fleece is wet and everything around it is dry. Okay, Lord, you got that, but please don't. I understand, God. I just, I just, I'm dealing with this right now. Guys, fleeces are okay. I encourage you this last week. I encourage you to throw fleeces out. God will show you things. He loves you and he'll work in the middle of those situations, those doubts and those worries and those fears. The idea isn't that you're never going to have fear. The idea is that even in spite of fear, you keep moving forward. It's, it's a beautiful opportunity once we move ahead. Also, the thing that God does, it's interesting. He says in Judges, 9, or Judges 7, 9 through 11, he says, you shall hear what they are saying. At the right time, God will give you an encouragement 
a word to say, now go, now move in this. Gideon goes into the tents, and he hears these guys talking. And how many of you know it was funny, because the, guy, the second guy was really sure. He said, yeah, this bowl of barley rolled down the hill and crushed the tent. And the guy's interpretation was, well, I know the answer. That's Gideon, and the army is going to take us all out. How many of you thought that you got that from the dream, and you read the dream? How many I mean, isn't it funny how God will even speak through a donkey or a situation? God will use people that weren't even part of our, quote, mix or our plan to give the answer to us. God is God of everything. He's the dream master. I love dreams, by the way. Just a little bunny trail. Pray for your dreams and pray for your children's dreams. And pray that God gives you the ability to interpret your dreams. It's the one time of your day where your brain is shut off. Do you know that? Where you can't, your subconscious is wide open and you can't manipulate your mind and think things and preconceived notions. God is allowed in for just a few hours to speak to you while you sleep. What a cool thing. Some of you might think that's boring, but it's true. When you go to bed at night, just say, Lord, speak to me through dreams and visions. That's all I want you to say. He'll give you something. He'll give you an opportunity. He'll work through signs and wonders. He'll give you something so deep and so beyond you, you never would have thought it. I love this verse of Scripture, working with our doubts. Maybe you attach this to your memo or your bulletin board or on your phone. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of knowledge of Him, in every place. Instead of the enemy surrounding you, realize today that your enemy is surrounded. Say, man, we got these oh, it's horrible, dark, terrible. Yeah, but just beyond that, on the outside of that circumstance, is mighty angelic forces fighting for you. Don't you love what the prophet said? And he saw, he said, man, he said, look at all the armies. And the prophet knew well enough for the word of God in his reality. And he said, Lord, Open my servant's eyes so that he can see. And all of a sudden he saw all the host of heaven surrounding the outside of that enemy. So now who's surrounded? <laughs> Gideon has them in, split into three groups. And I love this part because we think we're going to fight. You know, the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. So our fight is not on the people front. Our fight is on the spiritual front. Judges 7, 20 and 21 says this, And three companies blew the trumpets and shattered pitchers. So they had a trumpet in this hand, right? And a pitcher in this hand, or was it the other way? It doesn't matter. Well, where's their weapon? They got a trumpet and a pitcher, and a torch. How many of you know, even though I'm outnumbered, I would like to have a gun or a sword. Can anybody say I'm in there? At least I'll just, I can catch something. Uh, three companies blew the trumpets and shattered the pitchers, holding the torches in their left hand and the right hand the trumpets to blow. And the Amplified says it like this in parentheses, leaving no chance to use swords. And they cried the sword for the Lord and for See, we think, okay, God, I get it. This battle's yours, but we still want to help God a little bit with the victory. And he didn't even leave room for them to use a sword. He kept their hands full. Here's what God's going to do in your breakthrough of your life. He's going to get your hands full of the torch and the trumpet and declaring things, and he's going to say, I'm going to do all the work for you. You won't even have time to help me fight this battle, because quite frankly, I don't need your help. Here's what I'm going to say. God doesn't need your help. I think that's the beautiful thing and the beautiful story that they didn't even have the ability to grab a sword if they could because they had a torch and a trumpet. 1 John 3, 8 says this, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You today getting set free, and Sandra, if you want to come up and start playing. I want us to start projecting something. 
Do you know at work, I believe it's important to be professional and dress professional. You know what's really sad in this society, and I'm not getting on this, just on the outer core things, but we just lack professionalism, don't we, in business now? We, we just get too casual with things. We don't care. We, we don't shower. You almost have to tell people to put deodorant on. Isn't that crazy? But I want us to start projecting victory spiritually. It's not to deny that we, that we don't have things going on. But it is to understand today that all of us do have victory. Francis Frangipane writes this, You've been set free today, not because you feel free, but because you have faith. Each time you speak your faith, you are establishing your freedom as true reality. Your confidence is that while you are praying, the angelic hosts of God, which outnumber the devil by at least two to one, are united with evil against you. With Jesus, you cannot fail. Folks, I want you to remember today, before we close our eyes, this. I want you to know this. You are not free today because you feel free. You're free today because of the faith that you put in Jesus Christ. Because a lot of us, we go through struggles, and we feel like, man, if I'm struggling with this, or I have this, that somehow we don't have freedom. You are free today, because whomever the sun sets free, so he freed you from that past area of your life, and you received deliverance. It doesn't matter if the memory is there. It doesn't matter if sometimes you have emotions come up towards that. You are free because you placed your faith in Christ above that moment that you had in the past. Not because you felt it. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? My goal today for believers is that we start projecting faith and not failure and victory and not defeat. And your choice today as God clothed himself over Gideon to get him ready. It was still after that, even when he was clothed with Christ, that God still said, hey, Gideon, go down and hear what they're saying. To remind him of his faithfulness and that the victory was sure. Today, loved one, Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is for those who don't know Christ. And today you're in the service. Maybe you were hearing what Rod was talking about. And you've been born and raised in church. And you know the time to sit down, to shut up, to sing, to shout. But you don't have the treasure of Jesus Christ. And you want to know Him and be assured of victory in heaven and signed, sealed, and delivered. Today you can have that assurance. I don't care what church you grew up at, the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church, the Lutheran, the Catholic church, it doesn't matter. But you don't know Christ. And you want to know Him today as your Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, that's me. God's talking to me and I want to ask Jesus Christ in my heart today. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Number two. This is for the believer today. You've been freed and God's given you life, but you're bound. And the clothing that you've been wearing has not been a victorious clothing. You've not put on the mind of Christ and you've kind of been working in and out of the seams of life and the even flow of what happens and kind of dealing with what comes to you, but you've been living in defeat. And maybe the Lord encouraged you today to say the battle's not yours, the battle's mine. And God's not even leaving room for you to take a sword out right now. He's wanting you to absorb Him. And to know this today, that God doesn't just love you, He likes you. And he wants to hang out with you. And he wants to talk to you. 
He wants to hear from you. He is as close as the mention of his name. And today, if that's you and you say, you know what, I'm choosing today to take off these garments that I've been wearing and I'm going to put on that robe of righteousness which gives me the freedom and the joy to celebrate in this life and to enjoy who he is today if that's you why don't you raise your hand I want to pray with you loved one thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you God's given you great spiritual clothing to wear today and he's going to unbind and throw those things off Today, let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to my rescue, for giving me new life, for breathing new life into me. Today, I, I take these clothes off, these cover-ups, these defenses, these manipulations. And I put on robe of righteousness. Thank you, God, for giving me victory. And the declaration I make, and as I blow this trumpet, will be a call to victory and not defeat. Faith and not failure. Future and not the past. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, for those of you who raise your hand, I want to tell you that as the Holy Spirit unties those things in your life that you've been bound by, you're going to have a freedom to run and to celebrate and to share that good news with people about who Jesus is. But if you want to know Jesus today, you're going to have to read about him. Amen. Learn about him. Grow in him. Amen. Yeah. God's going to clothe you and bless you this week, honestly. You know what? He doesn't just love you. We're mighty Gideons. Lord, we thank you for today. Seal this word in our hearts. Help us all. We're all dealing with battles and we're all dealing with stuff. And Lord, I thank you that this week we charge the gates of hell. And that we don't allow the enemy to surround us, but through your word we surround the enemy. And we tell the devil where to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have an awesome, awesome Sunday.